0: and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science, with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. And I'm Wachatalee. And we are very excited to have a special guest uh, join Democracy-ish today, Ben McKenzie, who is an actor, yes, but is also anti-crypto, which is kind of my favorite title, uh, and is the co-author of the book, Easy Money, Cryptocurrency, Casino Capitalism, and the Golden Age of Fraud, along with Jacob Silverman. Um I'm going to turn it over to Waj because, Ben, you'll love this as an actor. He likes to do the movie phone voice.
2: (laughs) You might know him from his roles on the hit TV shows The OC and Gotham, but he's also a Tony Award nominated actor and a graduate magna cum laude from the University of Virginia with a degree in economics and foreign affairs. Ben McKenzie has spent the past year interviewing individuals both here and abroad to talk about easy money cryptocurrency casino capitalism and the golden age of fraud welcome ben thank you that's, well that's done, why well. I do thank you well so done. much that was beautiful uh
3: only one thing i don't have a tony nomination oh that was well, means- we the, will play, that. The, play, the play the play got a tony nomination i did not but you know what
2: <laughs> it's so good. You know what? It, it's, Everything else is true. This is in the era of truthiness. You should have just rolled <laughs> with uh, it. I felt oh, like I should have deserved a Tony nomination, so yes. I des- yes. I have a Tony nomination. Thank you. In my mind, I do. Yeah. So, Ben, you know, we we met a year ago when I was hosting South by Southwest Studio, and my producer said, yeah, Ben McKenzie is rolling through South by. I'm like, all right. Uh, he's probably promoting a, a TV show or a movie. Wonderful. Let's talk to him. And then they're like, no, no, he's talking about cryptocurrency. I'm like, what? They're like, yeah, he has a book coming out. And so then we got the research notes. I'm like, wait, wait, this is the this is a Ben McKenzie, right, from Southland and OC and Gotham? I'm like, yeah, the same Ben McKenzie. And you know, doing the research, I'm like, oh, he has a background in economics. I'm oh, curious. Maybe he'll be one of the many celebrities shilling for crypto, <laughs> like like Damon and LeBron. But then we had this. Uh, I really enjoyed that conversation that we had like a, a good thirty minute conversation where. I was very uh, surprised to learn that you had done the research, and you were sounding the alarm. This is a year ago, folks. This is before it all went down, and you were trying to warn Americans. Like, listen, this is a uh, this this is just a, a fool's dream. And you know, oftentimes w- when we discuss economic terms, uh, we all we always assume, oh, these are very brilliant men and women. We can- the average Jose cannot understand these terms. You know, just. Let them figure it out. But just set the table for us, right? Uh, Explain it to me like I'm a six-year-old, because I am. Cryptocurrency, (laughs) Bitcoin, what is it? How how do these people make money?
3: Sure. Well, they make money by getting you to give you your real money in exchange for these things they call coins or tokens. Um, But of course, they aren't coins or tokens, like not in a literal sense. They're pieces of code that are stored on distributed ledgers known as blockchains. So when you and I talked last year, and I did, I love that interview. That was my first long-form interview, and I think we really got to the heart of the matter. Um, you, do not have to, you do not have to understand cryptography. You do not have to understand computer science. All you have to understand is the English language. You need to know that, crypt, that currencies and economics do things. They are a medium of exchange. You can buy stuff with them. They're a unit of account. You can run your books with them. And they're a store of value. Their value stays relatively consistent over time. And all good currencies do that. Um, Obviously, we know currencies, real currencies are fragile. And we see in other countries when when they collapse, the United States has been blessed to be the world's reserve currency since 1944. So we haven't experienced that, um, or certainly not recently. But when cryptocurrencies call themselves currencies, they are not currencies. Because they cannot do any of those three things, right? I talk about it in the book. It's like calling a brick a soccer ball. Mm. Could you play soccer with a brick? I mean, you could, but I wouldn't recommend it. Um, they're investments. You're, you're putting real money into them, right? You're like, go to exchange an app on your phone. That's where most Americans bought crypto. Most Americans bought crypto at the height, which is why I was so worried in 2021. You, you buy stuff, right? You buy these coins. You hope they go up in value, and then you're going to sell them, and you're going to take that real money, and you're going to buy whatever you want with it. So that's an investment contract. That's more precisely a security. And we've had set federal securities laws in the United States since the 1930s because in the 1920s we did not, and the massive that things um, happened. Yeah, and 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 everything fell apart, and and you know millions of Americans lost a ton of money. So a hundred years later, I felt we were. On the precipice of doing the exact same thing, and we did. I mean that's what happened. Forty million Americans bought crypto. The vast majority of those people have lost money. Um, and a lot of people have lost at least for the moment everything in the sense that they can't get their money out of places like FTX, out of Celsius, a crypto lending firm. You know a lot of these places have just gone kaput. Um, so yeah, that you don't need to understand anything else other than things like that. To, to reframe the conversation, because the tech, the tech, and I use tech in quotes. If you can see me, that, that they're using they're using sort of multi level marketing type language to try to confuse you and to try to effectively indoctrinate you to believe that somehow blockchain technology is some new thing that's going to change everything. Blockchain has been around for over thirty years. It goes back to at least nineteen ninety one. Uh, Stuart Haber and Scott Stornetta at Bell Labs. It's just a distributed ledger. It's just a way of recording information. And so, ask yourself a very simple question: If blockchain was so revolutionary, then why, after thirty years, does it not have any use case except gambling? Like, have you? Is there a single company you can name that you use that employs blockchain technology? No, you can't because there aren't any. (laughs) Um, So maybe blockchain has a use case in the in the future, perhaps. But for now it's used for what is economically speaking gambling um
1: i you know what what's really interesting to me uh, about cryptocurrency and i have friends that got into crypto um that were you know and, and still say that they're they're making you know a lot of money but what i understood it, w- it was kind of like trying to wrap my mind around nfts and i'm just like so you're telling me that i am going to buy a print or a scan of something, I'm not going to actually physically own it. It's like I'm owning an idea. It's not even intellectual property in the way that you understand intellectual property. It's just cryptocurrency. And, and that's how I kind of like understood NFTs. I'm like, oh, it's just like an acronym for bullshit, like <laughs> it, which it which is kind of how I understood it. And I said, and so cryptocurrency to me, you know, was There's all in every generation. There is some type of get rich quick Mm. scheme, right? And Mm. some of them become a lot more elaborate and a lot more business savvy, right? Than just trying to go around and say, "Sell you Avon or Ampa or like any of these things." And cryptocurrency, I think, because of the elite or alleged elite group of people behind it, it gives the um, it gives the appearance of legitimacy. So can you talk about like the fact that you are a celebrity and an actor who is on the other side but they have literally found I mean it's like going to find somebody to sell Kelloggs. It's going to find somebody to sell Smartwater, right? Like it is you're legitimizing something with faces that people trust or like, right? But within inside of an industry that is fairly much in the same vein of me getting on a plane, going to Vegas and saying, I got $10,000 and I'm putting it on number two.
3: Right. At best. I mean, um, right. So there's a lot in there. I would say the celebrities, um, celebrities have always hawked products ever since there've been celebrities. Um, and the difference between these products and let's say hawking a skincare line or is that these are financial instruments, right? You're you're, you're giving people financial advice, whether you admit it or not. That's Mm. effectively what you're doing. So it's actually illegal to sell unregistered unlicensed securities. That's why you saw Kim Kardashian have to settle with the SEC for $1.25 million. Wow. Jacob Silverman and I wrote our our first article on this weird foray we've been on about Kim in in October of 2021. And so, you know, a year later or so, she she actually had to pay a big fine. Lindsay Lohan uh, had to pay a fine. Other celebrities. It's illegal to sell an unregistered licensed security. Why? Because you're not a, a licensed financial advisor, and these are not licensed financial products, right? Um, it gets a little more it'll be interesting to see now a lot of celebrities are being sued for hawking for the exchanges, which we're selling mm, the register. Mm-hmm. Like, so that's a little bit of a gray area. I don't know exactly, you know, how that'll shake out in courts, but regardless, just stepping back. Okay. Let's imagine you're selling soap mm-hmm. and somebody goes out and they buy, they, buy, they buy Ben soap and they use them They go, you know, what? it kind of smells funny. I don't know. It doesn't really work. It dries my skin. Out. All right. You know what? I'm not going to buy anymore. Well. All they had, they got a bad bar of soap. If you sell them a a, a coin, a token, or tell them to go onto an exchange where they lose money, and again, to reiterate, most people in crypto lose money. Lose money because you're playing in a rigged casino. It's not a licensed casino; it's a rigged casino. You're playing with a cut deck. When you lose money, I would be pissed at that celebrity who told me to buy the coin or encouraged me to do it. Um, So you're, you know, you're. you're not literally robbing your own fans but your result the result is the same your fans are losing money by trusting you so that diminishes your brand
2: mm. i was
3: encouraging the celebrities to say hey guys i know life's a hustle i know everybody wants to make money but like if people like wouldn't you just feel bad on like a just like an emotional like moral ethical level if, if your fans lost money because you told them to buy something so i think that's the distinction that i'm trying to go out there. And you see, celebrities have gone—you know—completely away from crypto. Like now, they won't touch. It. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah.
1: And, now, now it, now it's kryptonite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, well
3: played,
2: Daniel. <laughs> well played. Yeah, hey. That's why in Daniel one, it, gets the big money. In one
3: year, it went from everything in the Super Bowl. Right? Remember last year? Yeah. Everything. Like it was Matt Damon, everything.
2: Everything. Yeah. LeBron James, right? And let me Staples Center yeah. is renamed Crypto. So I said, I mean, I mean, it's yeah. freaking Staples Center right now where the Clippers and Lakers play. I mean, people forget that you had not just like any celebrities, but you had the creme de la creme attracting the most diverse demographics and saying, yeah, invest in crypto. And so many people, especially people of color, invested in it. And in your book, I, and I really want to get into this because we've, we've established what it is or, or, or what it says it is, right? But you say in your book, and, and I underline this, it is a zero-sum game. You said that the only way to make money is if other people lose money. Can you unpack mm. that for us?
3: You may have noticed something about cryptocurrencies.
2: They don't do anything.
3: They're weird securities. Like, securities are a, a share of stock, like Apple. Um, when I buy a share of Apple, I'm buying a piece of these phones that they make, right, that gives them revenue stream, the services they provide. Well, with crypto, there, there isn't any of that, right? Like There's nothing there, um, no products, no goods, no services. So if there isn't anything there, then all you're really you're not putting capital to productive use. It's a zero sum game, meaning it's like playing poker in Vegas. If we sat at a table and played poker, I might win a hand, you might win a hand, uh, Danielle might win a hand, but we're just transferring value between the players, right? Like we're not creating new value. We're not putting capital capital to productive use.
2: Oh, money just changes hands, literally.
3: Yeah. And while we're playing, the house is taking the rake, right? The house takes a little cut in Vegas Mm -hmm. every hand, right? That's how they keep the lights on the casino. So could you win in Vegas? Sure, you could win in Vegas. If you play long enough in Vegas, you are going to lose because over time, they're taking a little bit, right? Maybe if you're an amazing poker player, but that's a clean casino. That's a zero-sum game where you're playing in Vegas. This is like Vegas crypto is like Vegas from the 50s <laughs> when the mafia ran. Mob bosses. Right? It's like, it's not a clean game, right? You'll notice that like FTX was headquartered in the Bahamas, mm-hmm. uh, Binance, mm-hmm. the biggest, but this is my, one of my favorite stats. Binance, the biggest crypto exchange uh, of all of them by, by, by a country mile, it has no headquarters. It is literally headquartersless. <laughs> it's run through uh, shell corporations in the Caribbean. So, I mean, Guys, this is online poker 2.0. That's all it is. Wow. Do you remember online poker from the yeah. 2000s? Yeah. yeah. Yep. I I'm old enough to remember like my buddies were into it and they were playing poker and I'm like, "Hold on a second. You're entering your credit card information and you're gambling on a on a on your on your on your computer, but like who's to say they're not robbing you, right?" yeah And sure enough, they were. Sure enough, <laughs> like there were there was literally a god mode, a secret god mode for one of these poker uh companies and uh, they could see the other player's cards. And guess what? One of the compliance officers for that company went to work for Tether, the biggest stablecoin company. Another lawyer from that company went to work for FTX. So guys, it's literally online poker 2.0, except it's worse because there's more money involved, but it's the same thing.
1: From the New Yorker staff writer, Vincent Cunningham, a keenly observed novel of a young black man searching for his place in the world amidst a moment of historic change. Great Expectations is about David's 18 months working for the senator's presidential campaign. Along the way, David meets a myriad of people who raise a set of questions, questions of history, art, race, religion, and fatherhood that force David to look at his own life anew and come to terms with his identity as a young black man and father in America. Inspired by the author's experiences working on Obama's 2008 presidential campaign, Cunningham uses a political campaign as his narrative backbone. Great Expectations will be one of the talked-about novels of the year, Colin McCann. Great Expectations is available wherever books are sold.
0: Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand-new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves, real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts.
1: I think that what makes me really annoyed by crypto and the 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 whole kind of conversation around it is that it started out as saying we need to democratize wealth, right? It it started out as a way to provide the little guy, right? The little person with an opportunity to build wealth that Wall Street doesn't provide, mm. right? And so uh, on the onset, it was this idea that we're going to democratize wealth and, you know, the dollar and currencies, they were all made up too, right? And so this is just going to be something that we iterate on uh, into the future, right? And so you got to get in now. The get in now part was like, it in was, was, was like- the you know the guy on the corner twirling the sandwich thing saying yeah. get it now it's right. all, you know it's that's the tell yeah that's the tell yeah, to me yeah. that was that was always the tell and it was it was like get it now hmm okay all right um and so can you talk about then the way that it was the way that it was sold mm. which was directly at it wasn't directed at the super wealthy to make them more wealthy right, right. the way that crypto was pitched was it was pitched at people who don't have a lot, and telling them the tale that you too, you know, can end up on a super yacht at the end of this month if you just, you know, get in now. Right.
3: Yeah. I mean, the story, so what cryptocurrency is, really, is uh, an economic narrative. Robert Schiller, the Nobel Prize winning economist, talks about how economic narratives form, um, there are stories that are in reaction to real events. So the, the Bitcoin white paper, which was released in October of 2008, said, we're going to create, obviously in 2008, everyone hated the banks even more than we, than we usually do because everything had fallen apart. And so it said, we're going to create a peer-to-peer currency. We're going to avoid the banks. And you're going to be able to send this code. Technically, even that wasn't true because you're going, a blockchain is a basically a shared database. So you're not even technically going peer-to-peer, but leaving that aside for the moment. That was the aspiration, right? We're going to avoid the banks. And yeah, to your point, that's going to sort of democratize, decentralize uh, money. Then the story, that didn't really work for very long. Like, basically, people had no reason to put real money into it because they couldn't buy anything with it. They couldn't do anything with it. It wasn't worth anything. You know, somebody spent, I think it was like 10,000 Bitcoins on like two pizzas in like early uh, 2010s, you know, which would now be supposedly worth like a billion dollars or whatever. Um it was cute. Like you could mine it on your home computer. It was a bunch of nerds like sitting around, you know, swapping this stuff. Then the Silk Road came along, which was the online drug marketplace that mm-hmm. eventually the feds shut down. And that's where Bitcoin found its first use case. Like up until like the, the last bubble of 2016, 2017, 2018, um, the Silk Road was the biggest onboarding mechanism for crypto. You you wanted to buy drugs, you wanted to buy weapons you there were
2: lots of (laughs) just a recap gambling weapons drugs (laughs) Drugs. yeah okay well and
3: these are the things that like the crypto bros go like oh you you know you're you're painting us in such a bad light how dare you blah blah blah. i'm like guys i'm not making this stuff up like you can look at it you can look at the charts you can go through the history it is what it is all i'm trying to say is so the silk road was shut down god i can't remember what year it was i want to say it was 2013 um and crypto you know again went down for a while and then it came back as other cryptos started to come around ethereum um tether the stablecoin company was founded and more all mainstream of a sudden, yeah all of these cryptos started blowing up and it was like it was the, the ico craze which is the initial coin offering craze which is basically like an initial stock offering but illegal <laughs> and a lot of celebrities back then were hawking it including people that have you know come into a uh, uh, disagreement with law enforcement now, like Lindsay Lohan sh- hawked it back then, she hawked it now, Floyd Mayweather, people like that. Anyway, that crashed you know, in 2018. And then it came back again in the pandemic as interest rates went you know, all the way to mm-hmm, zero. Mm-hmm. People had stimulus checks, people were bored. There was no sports gambling, right? Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. sports was shut down for a minute. So what were young men going to do with their money? All of those things contributed to this massive bubble but if you talk to people in crypto, and I did, and, and, and as you were saying, watch, like, at South by, I think that like a couple hours after I, you interviewed me, I ran into this guy, Alex Mashinsky, who was the CEO of Celsius, this crypto lending firm that has now gone bankrupt and mm. Mashinsky is mm-hmm. being sued for fraud by uh, the New York AG. And I talked to Mashinsky and I put it in the book, but I asked him how much real money is in crypto. Right? Mm-hmm. This is March of 2022. I said, how much real money is there? So, you, yeah, I never expected him to answer. At the time, crypto was supposedly worth $1.8 trillion. And he goes, 10 eh, to 15%. The rest mm. is speculation. Yeah, mm. that's your eyes just did what my mm. eyes in the back of my head did. I tried to- The rest it.
1: is speculation. 10 yeah. to 15% of actual yeah. hard dollars. Yes. And the then- is, the rest is bubble. 75% is, is my idea?
3: Yeah, 85%. Like, so do the math there. That means I, you know, I called the chapter South by Southwest, the CIA. There was a run over the CIA. It's a whole other thing. And the 1.5 trillion that wasn't there. So if you do the math, that's 1.5 trillion that doesn't exist. And people don't understand that. They don't get that. They think when they buy a Bitcoin, like whatever, let's say the price is, I don't know what it is now, let's say it's $27,000 a coin. They think that they have $27,000.
1: Right. No, no,
3: no, you do not. You have whatever the exchange will let you have back. <laughs> so it's like a Ponzi <laughs> and, scheme, right? It sounds like a Ponzi yeah, scheme. Yeah, it's Ponzi, it's a multi-level marketing scheme, and it has dynamics of both. The, the bastardization of the language is very similar to multi-level marketing. They talk about community a lot. They talk about like, you're not an investor, you're not a you're not a or a sucker, You're a member of a community. You bought into this community, but those are weird communities, right? They exist online. You often never meet actual people in your quote unquote community. So it's a way of basically like redirecting your anger when you get swindled, right? And like finding some shared solidarity in being swindled.
1: Quick question. If, okay, let's use your $27,000 number per coin for Bitcoin, right? And I think that I have 27,000. Dollars, and I want to now pull my money, right? The way that I would want to pull my money from the bank or I'd want to liquidate some of my stocks or what have you, then what happens?
3: Well, that depends. If you are using a licensed US exchange that has not shut down, um, you can probably get your money back. Um, And I want to be clear on that. I'm not trying to disparage... um, License exchanges which interestingly enough don't even really operate under what we would refer to as a stock exchange license it's a different license because of a a weird regulatory loophole but nonetheless if you're a us-based you can probably get your money back especially if it's not a lot of money however if you're trying to get your money out of say ftx well obviously now you can't you can't but 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 even before and Binance, the biggest exchange, it, sh- it, shut down, it shut down multiple times. Uh, Jacob and I wrote a, an article about Binance for the Washington Post. Um, when the price collapses in Bitcoin, which it does <laughs> with frequency, um, the exchanges just shut down, all of them. Mm. And we followed a trader uh, in, let's see, w- the two guys across the world, one guy in Australia, one guy in uh, Toronto. One of them was Long. Meaning, he thought the price was going to go up. One was short, thinking the price was going to go down. Um, the exchange shut down as the price was dropping, and by the time it came 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 back on, they were both liquidated, Oof. both of them. But that's weird, right? How can you be on? Because one of them right, one of them's correct, and the price is going down. But like, basically, look, guys, I, I said this on Bill Maher. Like, it, they're very similar to bucket shops. Bucket shops were. Fake exchanges that existed until the 1920s, until the Martin Act and other uh, legislation was passed. They basically take your real money and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah we're going to make the trades. And then they don't really make the trades. Maybe, like, if you see your money go up, maybe you ask for your money back and they give you the money. It's, it's kind of like a Ponzi scheme, right? It's like, it's all a, you know, it's, it's, a, it, none of this stuff produces value. So at best, you're gambling, but at worst, you're being defrauded
0: it's I, uh, three
1: card monty i'm like yeah. that's what it is it's moving yeah. shit around and it's like you follow it with your eyes and if you can catch it then right. then great but if you can't then you're pretty much fucked <laughs> and and
3: and, 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 tr- and truly the, in- the historical analogy here i mean there's many but one of them is online poker because what happened mm. in the 2000s these companies set up in america and they, and you know guys it's always young dudes right who are always like gambling bros uh, bros i mean that, that just Like, we need to be honest about the sociology here. Like, young men take on a lot more risk. They're much more risk tolerant. They obviously, you know, um, if they have any money, like, they don't always spend it wisely. And they were gambling. The companies, the the online poker companies, realized law enforcement was going to come for them. And so they moved offshore. They moved to the Caribbean, Mm -hmm. to the same place, basically, where FTX and all these companies are. And then eventually, in a thing that's uh, a day that's called Black, Far- Black Friday in the uh, online poker community, the feds came in and shut them down. They just literally were like, "Okay, your website's gone. You know, we've got your money." Um, and what they uncovered was a, was a massive amount of fraud. Uh, so they're doing it again. I think what's interesting about the story is like it was all trapped in this like technology, you know, financial liberation, g- building generational wealth these appeal to different people, right? Mm-hmm. Like LeBron's mm-hmm. ads are different than Larry David's ads, are different than Matt Damon's ads, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think for people like us who understand media to study why they were the, the ads were written the way they were, why they cast the people they cast is very, I think it's telling.
0: Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand-new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves, real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins.
1: Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quincecom slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: You know, uh, yeah. we, you call, we call it a Ponzi scheme. Uh, Daniel says three-card Monty. I remember when you and I were talking and I was generally curious because I didn't know much because I was like, I'm trying to understand this for the past year. and I still don't understand how these people made money. I, I call it the Inshallah of money and you said <laughs>
1: it's, my favorite. it's like it's, my
2: favorite. it's like yeah insh- there's money there inshallah i'm like oh, okay it's um like that's probably nothing there and if you know, people tried to get me to invest it there were crypto bros who said i wasn't smart and like you just have to trust the process bro and you're a hater and you know speaking about this culture and and media uh i think it is important right for, for people to understand like the people who are peddling this because the people who are peddling this are some shady characters you know sam bankman fried and others right who Got the money, made the money, and then peaced out, right? And now, yeah. and now raised, uh, I think, several hundred million dollars for bail. But there's also something much, much more sinister here at play. And I wanted to talk about this because you mentioned in your book, uh, these, these Bitcoin bros, these cri- crypto bros, right? They're aligned with the far right, which I find to be fascinating. And specifically, you went to El Salvador. A- and talked to me about this alliance between the crypto bo- bros and the far right both here and abroad?
3: Sure. Now, I want to be very clear. Not everyone who bought Correct. crypto, of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. But n- n- nowhere near is, is some far-right person. There are 40 million Americans who bought crypto. And most of them bought it. And the polling bears this out. You can go to a few poll, They bought it because it was easy and because uh, it was a new way of investing. So, like, it was easy, man. It was like, you know, LeBron was selling it to you. You, you downloaded the app on your phone and voila, you could gamble on crypto. So that's the vast majority of the hardcore minority and, and the people that generally got in early, which keep in mind, if it's a multi-level marketing scheme, if you got in early, you're at the top of the pyramid.
2: So you make the money. You're
3: gonna, you make the money, right? That's how it works because it's not adding value. The only way to make money is to be at the top, to get in early. In multi-level marketing schemes, academic studies have shown 99% of people lose and the 1% gain. And who are the 1% in crypto? It's the early adopters, the the bros with the laser eyes that bought Bitcoin, you know, way back when. Good for them. I wish they weren't being such jerks about it, but like, fine, you got in early. Uh, it's the people that run the exchanges, Sam bankman et etc., and it's the people that issue the coins. And these coins are issued. Um, they have their own teams, but basically, they get venture capital money really early on. So, like firms like A16Z. Um, paradigm they like they buy the coins very cheaply like early on and then as the value inflates when they go to market they sell and so who's holding the back retail regular people end up losing so that the venture capitalists make money just want to be very clear on how those things work so yeah so with the far right um we went to El Salvador the only nation in the world that's trying to use uh, cryptocurrency as money it's not working and not only that i mean it's com- being completely ignored like Less than 2% of uh, remittances, the money that Salvadorans who live here in the United States, there's two or three million uh, people of Salvadoran descent who live in the United States. The money they send home to El Salvador is the foundation of the economy. It's uh, one quarter of the economy. And so if, if crypto could work as a way of sending money overseas and avoiding the fees, which is mm-hmm. how they pitched it, then like, this could be a game changer for this small country but it's not been used. Less than 2% of people are using the government system. It doesn't work very well. They don't trust it. There's a lot of fraud. What is happening in El Salvador is the president, Nayib Bukele, is arresting everyone. He's arresting, he's arrested 60 to 70,000 people in a country of only 6 or 7 million. So, he is El Salvador now has the highest incarceration rate in the world. And this is your, your country that's supposedly offering this new And people should know he's a
2: Bitcoin bro. That's how he made his money.
3: Yeah, he brags about buying Bitcoin with government money while sitting on the toilet. Like, that was mm. his, his tweet, yeah, from last year. He, calls, he called himself the world's coolest dictator. He's, he had laser eyes in his profile for a minute before that went south. Look, the story of Bitcoin in El Salvador is actually pretty complicated, and I couldn't really... Um, do all of it in the book, and maybe I'll be able to write um, more of that later. But suffice it to say, corruption in El Salvador is not a new thing. And um, the United States bears a lot of responsibility for El Salvador's uh, position. We funded the guerrilla war. Uh, I funded the, uh, the government against the guerrillas in the in the in the seventies and early eighties, all the way through nineties. Um, we have a terrible track record when it comes to El Salvador, and El Salvador has massive gang problems that, that we created. It also has uh, uh, a long history of corruption. The last four Salvadoran presidents are either in jail or on the run. Um, so Naive is not some new thing, but he is using crypto as the new way of what, what I assume is corruption, um, because he's never provided what wallet he owns and where this crypto is. So it's very unclear how this is all working. What is clear is that the people are ignoring it because it doesn't work, and he's jailing a large percentage of the population.
2: Gambling, (laughs) drugs—it's fun stuff.
3: Look, funding
2: autocracies.
3: Yeah, it's great. Like, what's the downside, right? Yeah, I mean, look—I don't want to try to be a jerk here, but we have tried private money before. So, what? So, let's say let's assume for the moment that crypto is actually sincere and trying to be money, right? So, what's interesting about it is like. So what kind of money would this be? Well, it's not issued by the state, right? They they very clearly want to be not state. So so who so who issues the money? Well, companies basically, mm-hmm. right? I mean, all these mining machines that are mining the Bitcoin are going to own the Bitcoin, yeah. So that's private money. We've tried private money before. We tried it in the nineteenth century, uh, the free banking era, which was eighteen thirty seven to eighteen sixty three. States were allowed to. The uh, banks were allowed to get charters from the states. They had to hold onto a certain amount of state bonds and they could issue their own notes, their own money. Well, it didn't work. Um, the banks fell apart. I mean, some some states were better than others, New York was okay, but like Michigan, Minnesota, like the banks just failed all the time and, and often because of fraud. Like they they were called wildcat banks because you were allowed one uh one chapter and you would you would set your Bank up as far away from your customers as you could in the boonies where the wildcats roamed so that they couldn't get their money back. Like, right, which, you know, (laughs) doesn't necessarily mean you're committing fraud, but once you have their money and they can't get to you very quickly.
1: What, to stop, what, what else would stop, stop you from?
3: And what there's a bunch of
2: wildcats in between you and your money.
3: And yeah, you exactly. Your money. You might as well have exactly.
1: built a moat. That's yeah, so I mean cool. the, the
3: reason private money doesn't work is because of fraud, but also because you need that central, you need that backstop. You need the federal government or some government to backstop your money. Um, You see with all these banks failing, right? Like, why did it not get a lot worse? Well, because-, it was the, because- the if federal yeah, yeah, yeah the intervention yeah the intervention yeah. with the FDIC, and so if crypto has set up its whole system to avoid that well, well guess what happens when you can't get your money out you're you're, shit you're out just, of luck you're done <laughs> like there's no you can't appeal to the federal government now i mean you've been giving the middle finger to the federal government for for a long time so um yeah, yeah. i mean they, they they crypto is fascinating because they make all these there's all of these stories that are that are predicated on on a uh, misunderstanding of history um Private money, the gold standard—that's another one that we can go into. But they're all wrong, <laughs> and it's fun to debunk them and fun to talk about them. But they really have a lot of salience with the American public, I think, or did, because people want to believe. Everyone agrees on the premise that the banks suck. Everyone agrees right. that the financial system sucks. The, the sleight of hand is to then say crypto is the solution, right? That's and it's the, and
1: it's and it's not. It's like no, it's it's it's, it's basically. I mean, I think that what I, I so appreciate you coming on, Ben, to explain this and kind of break it down in a way that I feel like is very digestible to our audience because I feel like, you know, we all, it's like everyone recognizes that there's a problem, right? right. But the solution is not as easy as then just leave the banks and begin gambling, right. right? Like that's, and and so it's just to recognize, and I say this to the the our democracy-ish audience, it's to recognize that, We all understand and can see where the problem is, and whenever somebody offers you a very quick solution, recognize that that is probably the biggest red flag that you can receive, which is that the issues are complex, which means that the solutions in the in uh, the end are going to be complex as well. But Ben, we thank you so much. um, One for for just making the time to join Democracy Ish, but for writing this book. You know, which I think just the title alone and I love it, easy money, um, is is exactly what people need to avoid. Because look, folks, like in life, nothing, <laughs> nothing that is easy is, is like yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I will say that. So the book is easy money, cryptocurrency, casino capitalism, and the golden age of fraud. Ben, I hope that you come back to join us again soon.
3: I would love that. Please pre-order the book. It's available wherever you buy books. And thank you so much for having me. Great to talk to you again, Watch. Appreciate it, man.
2: No, it was great, man. The book drops July 18th, everyone. It's co-written by Ben and Jacob Silverman. Buy it. Uh, I'm almost done with it. It's, It's fantastic. It's readable. It's fun. And like Danielle said, I really appreciate that you took the time not to talk down to us, but actually connect the dots for us.
3: No, I really appreciate it. And Danielle, it's wonderful to meet you. And I love the
1: podcast. So thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Democracy-ish. I'm Danielle Moody. I'm Ajahat Ali. And we will be back next week if in fact we have a country left. Inshallah. (laughs)